Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, where classical gourmands everywhere can finally get their fill. Join us for a delectable discussion of Greco-Roman civilization stretching from the Minoans and Mycenaeans through the Renaissance and right down to the present. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are your hosts, Dr. David Noe and Dr. Jeff Winkle. Welcome, listeners, to episode 75 of the Ad Nauseam podcast. My name is Jeff Winkle. I'm here in the vomitorium here with my good friend, Dr. David Noe. How are you feeling tonight, Dave? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. Pretty well? Pretty well. Yeah, not, not no, great? Non male, Ago. Okay, non male. All right. That's all right. right. Okay. It's cold. Yeah. The cold won't seem to leave. It lingers. It lingers, right. But I like think... the dinner guest, the party goer that won't go away. Won't go away. You, you show them the door. You hand them their coat. But and they stay. Still, still hang around. That's right. right. Exactly. Yeah, they fake like uh, they can't find their wallet or right. their keys. <laughs> yeah. My wallet's gone, <laughs> they say. So and you're feeling that that's what winter is for you right yeah, now? It's yeah, it's just kind of wearing me down. Yeah. Here we are, February 25, 26. Mm-hmm. Can't we get a leap year or something and just skip over the rest of the winter? I, I hear you. I hear you. This is the time of year where I'm kind of you know, frantically... Uh, obsessively checking like the weather report. I am starting to also. I did see that uh, uh, about a week from now we're supposed to be breaking to the 60s. No, so you're making that I'm up. I'm not making it up. 60s? Yeah, 60s, yeah. I thought it was supposed to be smarch. It, well, we've been going through a little bit of smarch lately. Uh, like a leg of lamb in like a lion, isn't that the saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Something like exactly that. Exactly right. So you, you've had it, you, you want the leg it. of lamb? or you? No, I, it? I don't know. You don't Just know. keep it in a snowbank. <laughs> I am so tired of the winter, it's it's dragging me down. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, I hear you. Here, yeah. But what can cheer me up? Yes. Ready for a nice segue? Yes. The classics. The classics. That's yeah. what we're talking about tonight, right? What this podcast concerns. Right. We're, and we're talking about we're talking about uh, dead guys tonight. Seems to be your thing. Liminality and death. I do. I like. I I'm I'm fascinated by both of those things. Memento right? mori. Don't forget to die. Exactly. Right. All right. Right. So not so much liminality tonight, but okay. a lot of kind of stories about about. Um, Last moments mm-hmm. of notable Greeks and Romans, right, and the the myths that uh, that um, gather up around them. Yeah. All right, Dave, we got to get to our shout out. Yes, <laughs> and I'm excited about this one. Why are we laughing? I don't know. Okay, who, who do we got? Uh, we have a good friend of mine, Dr. Joan Christ. Joan Christ, all yeah. right. Yeah. And Joan says, uh, I teach Latin at an Urban Core Charter School in Northwest Indiana. Very cool. Uh, she says, I have been an addict of Latin per diem. An addict? Yeah, I didn't know we had any so, addicts. Sounds like she needs some help. <laughs> Which uh, helped me to pass my teaching licensure exam for the past year and a half. Fantastic. She says, I used to be a professor of Catholic theology. Wow. She actually has a doctorate in theology from Notre Dame. She's, she's too uh, modest to say that, but I can brag on my friend a little bit. Fantastic, yeah. She says, but I am being slowly converted to Protestantism by Theodore Beza. Really? Yeah. Beza's kind of, she's leading her down this path? Yes, well, oh. Theodore Beza is a fantastic uh, theologian, in my opinion, and yeah. a great Latinist as well. She says, I love listening to Ad Nauseam on my walks to and from my workplace, and I try to buy things from your sponsors at least once per month. Man, Joe. Isn't that sweet? That's very sweet. That's She's, awesome. Yeah. She says, you guys always give me something I can use in my classes. Fantastic. That's really great. Yes. Yeah. I it's like I paid you. her to say these yeah, things, exactly. which I did not. Right. So this, uh, have you met Joan? <laughs> no, no. Right. Uh, just online. Just right. online, yeah. We uh, studied some Latin together. Very good Latin student. Very, very good Latinist. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Joan, for listening and, uh, and yeah. for doing all that other stuff, too. That's great. Yes, we're so thankful uh, to have listeners like you out there. All right, Jeff. So as we get into tonight's episode, what exactly are we going to give the listener and the viewer? We're going to talk about uh, these legends that surround 
uh, a number of notable Greeks and Romans, uh, legends that surround their deaths. Okay. And not necessarily stories that we should take to be, you know, accurate or exact or historical. Canonical, maybe. Canonical. Right. Um, and look at them more kind of through the lens of, of myth. And, okay. Um, I, I don't think that the Greeks were unique in this, but, um, you know, famous death stories about notable people often seem to often seem to kind of come together as critiques of or kind of comments on their on their lives. I so see. That, so these these notable people kind of die in a fitting way that, yes. that matches their lives. Yes. Well, yeah. let, let me riff on that for a moment, Please. if you don't mind. Go ahead. At the end of uh, the story of, what is it, Croesus in uh, Herodotus? Yeah. The famous quote about you don't know whether someone has lived well until you see if they die well. Right, right, Repeated right. Repeated at the end of the Oedipus Rex, right? The chorus is comment on Oedipus. Good. Yeah. And uh, you can have what appears to be a successful life and then right at the very end if you die in some ignominious fashion your life was not successful right 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 that's a lot of pressure it is a lot of pressure you yeah. know for the greeks the best death was in battle speared in the front because <laughs> yeah. if you're speared in the back that means you're running for you're it. running away yeah second best was to die among your friends so you sit on the porch in your rocker with a glass of lemonade, maybe a little vodka in there. Yeah. And surrounded by your kids and grandkids. That's, you know, that's, that's a good the, way to go. It is a good way to go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah how yeah. about you? How do you want to go? Um, I haven't given a lot of thought. No. I know. For I've, a guy that thinks about death so much. I haven't thought about my own death. If I told you my, my, my father-in-law, his, okay. his plan is that he's just simply going to uh, wander out into the desert. When he feels Ooh. it's time, he's going to wander out and says, don't bother, come looking for me. That's right. terrible. I know. It's awful, isn't it? Wander out into the <laughs> desert. <laughs> yes. That's yes. terrible. I know. I know. But that's his, that's his huh. plan. That's how he wants to go. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how serious he is about that. Yeah. But it, it how can... about me? How do I want to die? Oh, yeah. Thanks it, for asking. Jeez. It's going to be one of these nights. It is not. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, Dave, how do you want to die? <laughs> I, I want to uh, even just fall asleep on a pile of books. Really? Yeah. Because that's where I usually am anyway. Just on a pile? That's right. And they just put me in the casket and throw in all the books I haven't finished reading. Yeah. Close it up so I'll have the time to you know, get it done, hopefully. You're kind of like an Egyptian pharaoh. You're going you're gonna to try, try to take it with you. I suppose. Yeah. Throw in some pencils and a good composition notebook, because uh, I don't want to forget all this stuff. <laughs> but we have some opening quotes. We do. We some do. famous last words of famous individuals that you have assembled I've assembled, us. right. And, and then these, I did not do a ton of research on these. But, no. But... Uh, <laughs> Again, one of these nights. What? Come yeah. on! And but I found a number of quotes that I these think great. that uh, I, I have no idea if, the, if these are accurate. But the, again, that's kind of the point of what yes. we're talking about. The, the, does the quote kind of fit the? person. The person's character and everything we know about. Them. Right, 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 right. So can we take turns with these? I mean, yeah. you did the hard work, but I want some of the glory. Yeah, sure. Why don't you go first? Okay. So these are supposedly the famous last words of um, Elvis Presley. Yes. Can you do an Elvis voice? Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I got a few I could do yeah, here. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to uh, so, attempt an Elvis. All right. Yeah. So uh, apparently Elvis Presley, the last thing he said was, I'm going to the bathroom to read. <laughs> <laughs> right. And do you know the story of Elvis's death? Um, I think it was tragic, wasn't it? Well, it's, yeah. He's making peanut butter sandwiches. and He actually went, he climbed the stairs in Graceland into the bathroom. He mm. went and that's where he was found. And he didn't come out. No, he did not. That, that guy had an amazing voice in his early career, didn't he? Yes, he did. Just an incredible. Right. He had a terrible manager, though, that, that, that yeah. Colonel Tom Parker kind of really screwed him over. And by the time he was very old, the voice was wrecked. Yeah. And it was, well, he was only 42 when he died. Yes. Wow. But, but he, 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 he did not... He, he aged very quickly in right. those last years. Yes. Right. Right. 
Um, another one. So Raphael, the the notable oh. uh, uh, Renaissance painter. Yes. Um, the, the third of the three greats. Yes. Mo- probably most famous for his uh, the School of Athens. Mm-hmm. Um, in the yes, that is incredible. You've been to his tomb, right? I have in the Pantheon. It's in the Pantheon. Yep. He's ensconced in the Pantheon. What a way to go! Right. I think he also died quite young. I think he was in his thirties. That's incredible. Um, but apparently, his last word was happy. That's phenomenal. That's a good way to go, <laughs> right there. Yep. I want my last word to be. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> Reacting or, uh, to the book that's in your hand? Yeah. <laughs> in- indifferent. <laughs> no, yeah, maybe reacting to the book that's in my hand. I use all these little these little colored flags, you know, to mark the spot. I've seen them. I've yes, seen them in your I, books. Yeah. I don't want to pick the book up and forget where I was. They have bookmarks for that. You don't have to stick things to them. But right? a bookmark is so imprecise. You could be anywhere on the page. Well, I, so you're, I can't you're, you're necessarily remember. Right by the paragraph. That Sometimes you're... to the very word. <laughs> Because I want to just pick up naturally. Yeah. So my last word will probably be, you know, flag, something like that. <laughs> Should we go on? Yeah, who's next here? Uh, the next is the inimitable uh, Frank Sinatra. Could, uh, but, uh, yes, inimitable, <clears throat> but c- can you do a Sinatra for us? It's okay. All right. Okay. It's all right, but I'm not going to do it. All right, all right. Well, I did sing on one episode, remember? You did. Yeah. I sang some Roy Orbison. That's right. And That's it was right. ill-received. It was, no, oh, really? I'm yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry about So here that. we go. Yep. Frank Sinatra's last words are, I'm losing it. I'm losing it. Now that that one sounds that I believe that sounds one. like him. He was yeah. referring to his wallet, though. <laughs> okay, next, next. This one I don't think is is correct. no. This is George Orwell. Orwell, yeah, George. So I've seen this quote a lot. Uh, uh, you know, attributed to you know, everyone from Socrates to Bon Jovi, Jaja Gabor. Yeah, exactly right. Mm-hmm. So apparently, these were not his last spoken words, but his last written words. Well, they're very fitting to him, I would say. Yeah, you, you an Orwell fan? I am an Orwell fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find him uh, fascinating, prescient, yeah. very prescient. Yeah. Um, and we talked about him. Did we call back to the episode? Um, what was it? Top nine reasons to study the classics. Did we talk about or- how did yes, Orwell we did. come up in, in that? Because we had a quote about how he hated mm. he hated Latin. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. And he said that you can't study classics. What is it? The study of classics is impossible without corporal discipline. Because hmm. he grew up in this uh, hoity-toity English boarding school and right. apparently got whooped right, too right, much. Right. Not the guy that died uh, too young. Um, what did he say? Well, he he wrote apparently at fifty, everyone has the face he deserves. Hmm. Right, so are you are you fifty yet? Are you fifty? It's a very personal question. It is. Well, let's let's get personal. No, you're not. But you are. I am. A 50, I'm fifty one. You're fifty one. So apparently, I have the face that I deserve. Right? <laughs> and it's a jovial one. Let me oh, say. Thank you. Very jovial. Right. Uh, okay. What's next? Who's this? Buddy Rich. Yes. Famous now, drummer. Okay. So for whom did? Um, uh, Buddy Drum. He was had his own big band. Okay. And he was a famously kind of a tyrant in the way that he... Really? Yes. Yeah, so you can YouTube this uh, um, famous rant that he went uh, against his musicians on, on the bus. It's very profane. He didn't die with uh, Valens and... Uh, no, no, no. Uh, uh, with the Big uh, Bomber? The Big... The Big Bomber. <laughs> what was his name? The Big Bopper. Okay, and, sorry. Uh, and uh, Buddy Holly. No. Right. No, he, he lived um, after that. Okay. But uh, he was famously irascible. Ah, right. my kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is what he says. As he was being prepped for surgery, a nurse asked Mr. Rich, is there anything you can't take? Rich replied, yeah, country music. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, nice. I ran down country western music just this week. You did? Oh, it was great. What, what happened? Uh, some students said, uh, if I told you that I wrote a song about you, would you like it? I said, not if you wrote it as country western. <laughs> <laughs> so you're on the same page as oh, Buddy here. Oh, I'm with him. Right. All right, all right. 
Next, uh, a very fav- uh, favorite uh, individual of mine. Yes, yeah. and I actually found this because I was thinking Thank of you. Thank you, because yes. you know I'm a Marxist. Yes, you are a Groucho Marxist. That's right. That's right, and as am I. And so he apparently said on his deathbed, this is no way to live. <laughs> and I really hope that's true. I hope so, too. That's perfect. Then Alfred Hitchcock, right? That's yes. the Hitchcock you have here? Yes. Okay, exactly. Alfred Hitchcock said, one never knows the ending. One has to die to know exactly what happens after death, although Catholics have their hopes. Right. Now, I did. I don't buy this. I think, you know, one never knows the ending. He's a filmmaker. He's a storyteller. It's a little little too on the nose. I see what you're saying. But if you say, I can do a little bit of a Hitchcock. One never knows the ending. (laughs) One has to die to know exactly what happens after death. Something like that. That's very nice. Uh, Mishka put some applause in here for our friend Jeff. Because that's the only applause he's going to get. Oh, man. And finally, we have uh, Winston Churchill. Yes. Are you, are you a fan of Winston? I am. I'm a great admirer of Winston. Yes, I am yes. too. Warts and all. It's incredible. Yep. So this is what he said, I'm bored with it all. Yes. Isn't that great? Does that sound like Churchill? <laughs> yeah, I think so. All right. He's kind of had it by the end, right? He lived a long time. Yes, he did. Yep. Yes, he did. An important individual. All right, Dave, let's get into this. Okay, so, so we're going to start out with... We're going to start out with some, we're gonna start, uh, some famous Greeks, famous dead Greeks. Yes, that's and right. And some famous dead Romans. Incredible. Right. And the first one up is Aeschylus, or Aeschylus, if you want to. What do you prefer? I'm an Aeschylus guy. I'm an Aeschylus guy, too. The Aeschylus sounds a little bit uh, uh, pretentious, may I say? Right. I did once have a student uh, ask me about about this guy, Aeschylus. Aeschylus? Yeah. (laughs) What you do to the Aeschylus? I have a soft spot in my heart for that pronunciation. Okay. Um, So this comes, um, so our our first three here are the three great tragedians, Aeschylus, Euripides, and Sophocles. That's right. And these death stories come from... A Roman author by the name of Valerius Maximus, mm-hmm. um, who I admit I have never read. Well, there were other Valeriuses, Valerii, but yeah. he was the Maximus. He was the biggest of right? them all, right? Exactly. Yeah. So he was the he was the largest. Yes. Yes. Right. No, that's not it. No. Now I see you have the order here yeah. is Aeschylus, Euripides, er, uh, and Sophocles, mm-hmm. but um, this is the order of their demise, right? Because Sophocles is actually a little bit older. This is my typical pedant move. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sophocles is a little bit older than Euripides. Yes. But he uh, outlived him. Just by a couple of months. But Yes. Uh, yeah, right. Which the listener can find out in the episode. Which I've been. Brek, ek, 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 coax, coax. That's right, exactly. The man. one about the frogs. Man, you have a really good memory about the other episodes. Well, I, they I, might. I can't remember anything. <laughs> yes, you can. Yeah. But people may be asking, why do they keep referencing old episodes? Hmm. Why indeed, Dr. Winkle? Well, we want them to go back and listen to Correct. These. Yes. Especially the duds. <laughs> So, uh, Valerius, yes, the the greatest, the biggest uh, of the Valerii. Yeah, he recorded a lot of these kind of famous death stories. He wrote right. in the, writing in the first century, and this comes from a um, a book of Facta et Dicta, yes, Memorabilia, the yeah. uh, uh, the memorable deeds and words. Yes, right, right. You want to read a little Latin for I us? I would love to. Yes. Yeah. So here goes: Aeschylus verdro poeta excessus quem armorum non voluntarius sic propter novitatem casus referendus in Sicilia moenibus urbis in quamorabatur egressus Aprico in loco recedit. Superquim aquila testudinem ferdrains oh, no. elusa splendora capitis. Erdrat enem capillis vacuum perinde aquilapidiam in licet ut fractae carna vescaretur. Eoque ictu orrigo et principium fortioris tragoidiae extinctum est. It's a. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's great it, stuff. Isn't it great stuff? I don't care for this line too much. Erdrat enem capillis vacuum. <laughs> Which, uh, listener, you may know, uh, he had what? 
He was carrying, a, let's see, his head was glorious, uh, but it was devoid of hair. Devoid of hair. <laughs> Walk womb, Capinas. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's, it's a little bit too close to home for me. Yes, it's, absolutely. Right. <laughs> so this is a translation of, of that. This is from a Samuel Speed. This is a, a 17th century translation, but which has been updated. So the guy is um, is a Samuel Speed? Yeah. Is his name? Sounds like a, like a superhero, like an alter yeah. ego of a superhero. A Flash, maybe. A flash, yeah. Right. So uh, at what tempo are you going to read it? Sam Speed. I'm going to actually do it very measured. Okay. Yeah, I think that's how Sam would, would want it. All right. Uh, the death of Aeschylus, though not voluntary, may however be related for its oddness. For he walked out of the town where he lived and sat down in a convenient place. There an eagle bearing a tortoise, deceived by the baldness of his head, <laughs> as, as they are, eagles often are. Oh man, you got to wear a hard hat when you're walking around my neighborhood. Crazy. <laughs> uh, the eagle let fall the tortoise upon him as if he were a rock to break it so that it might get at the flesh. And by that blow, the beginning of a more perfect tragedy was stifled at its origin. <laughs> so death by fl- flying turtle. By that blow. It by says, that blow. Stifled the uh, origin of a more perfect tragedy? Yes. So death by flying turtle. What does that mean? He was about to write a great tragedy? I've, and... heard, I've read that as well as that he one of the reasons he went outside was to compose his next tragedy. Yeah, and that's so a great place for tragedy. He's sitting in a convenient place. Yeah, I wonder what yeah. that means. Yeah. Um, but that he was he was killed by the flying turtle before mm. he could uh, he could uh, mm. he could compose it. Yeah. So this is a common way for eagle to open up the tortoise's body. I don't know a lot about eagles and tortoises, but it, it seems <laughs> it's it seems logical to me. Pick right? it up from a great height and drop it on a rock right. and split it open, and eagle, there's the fresh turtley meat. Yeah, the, be, the eagle can't get, get through the the tough shell with just, tough just shell. his beak, right? Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so Pliny actually talks about um, about this in his um, uh, Natural History. And he's more interested in kind of the the species of bird and, okay. and tortoise. But he relates the added detail that uh, um, Aeschylus is said to have, there was an oracle that he's going to be killed by a, some, uh, a falling object. So Pliny receives an oracle that he, Pliny, will be killed by the falling object. No, he's, he's, he's talking about Aeschylus. Oh, Aeschylus right. got this oracle. Right. So he, Pliny's talking about this story because he wants to talk about the eagle. And the got tortoise. it. Right. So maybe um, Aeschylus had been watching Looney Tunes or something? It's something like that. And he knows that if you walk down the street, you might... An anvil? Or a piano or a fall piano. on you? <laughs> right, right. This happens well, all the time. Right. So he's, he's staying in... He's staying in well, uh, apparently, I mean, from what I take it, that Aeschylus is... He, um, he goes outside because he's, he thinks it's more likely for something to fall on his head if he's inside. Well, that's kind of mixed. I don't know. Were the shelves affixed carefully to the walls is my question. Maybe that was, maybe there's shoddy workmanship. In Mrs. Aeschylus hang a pan up wrong or something, <laughs> something like, that. like that. So he went outside thinking he'd be safer out there. But of course, mm-hmm. the rule of oracles and probably oh, has to come true. Yeah, right? And the harder you work to avoid them, the more you, you know, fulfill them, complete them. Right. So at any rate, hit by the turtle. Okay. And so, so he was in Sicily. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yes. He was in Sicily visiting yeah. the, the famous tyrant there, right? Exactly. Who liked to patronize the arts. Yes. Okay. Right. Exactly. Um, now, is this? Is there any truth to this story? It seems so bizarre that it would be, um, uh, to, to my mind, highly unlikely. Yes, but you were saying in last week's episode, you can't make this stuff up about oh, Alcibiades. True. It's, maybe it's, it's so weird that maybe that's, an, that's evidence that it is true. Yeah, it has the stamp right. of plausibility. Right. Now, I've also heard kind of the interpretation is that, um, you know, the liar on which... You know, tragic music would be mm-hmm. would be composed would be made from the tortoise shell. That's right. That's how Hermes first invented it. Right. And so some think that it's one of these ironic Greek deaths. Oh that yeah. By being killed by the turtle, he's being killed by tragedy itself. Oh, that's funny. Right. So if we apply that to other sort of genres, what would a philosopher be killed by? Um. You know, a, 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 a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Some 
a flawed, a flawed premise fell, <laughs> fell on his head or something like that. Yeah. I think a philosopher would be fairly safe from I would think. flying objects. If more. you've read the Gorgias, you know, Polus would probably put you to death with boredom. Yeah, there you go. Bored to death. Yes, that's, that's right. What I would say. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but the epitaph. The epitaph, right? So the, there's this also another famous story that um, you know, as he was dying, or maybe before before he died, he wanted he was asked, "What do you want on your your tombstone?" Right. Um, all it's he like, really, "What do you want on your pizza?" Same kind of thing. Right, right? Exactly. Yeah. And he said, um, basically, mentioned that I fought at Marathon, mm-hmm. and nothing about his his tragic career, nothing about no. his, his poetry. And that's really striking. Yeah, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. I've seen that epitaph. Maybe in a future episode, uh, we'll deal with it. And uh, it's lovely, right? Yeah. The love. I haven't seen it in person. I'm saying there's a recording of it in, in literature. Right? Yeah, right, right, right. It says something like, uh, you know, I, I, res- I stoutly resisted the long-haired Persians at Marathon. Mm. But, of course, nobody knows him for that. Everyone knows him as great uh, literary artist. Right. But incredible that he was there on that day yeah. in 490, mm-hmm. um, fighting uh, in as in that underdog force. And the the, there on that day in 456 when he got tortoised on the head. <laughs> exactly right. Okay, should we move on to Euripides? <laughs> yeah, we got to move now. So Euripides, um, so again, uh, Valerius, here we'll just uh, dive into the translation. Okay. He says, more unpleasant was the demise of Euripides for returning to the house where he was staying in Macedonia after dining with King Archelaus. He was torn to pieces by dogs, Ooh. and that was a fate too cruel for so great a genius. Yes, it's kind of a fate too cruel for anybody, isn't it's it? Awful to be it torn terrible? to pieces by dogs. Right, happened to Actian, right? Yes, yeah. In uh, an episode entitled <laughs> "Ovidian Vignettes," remember? Oh, that's right, exactly. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, torn to, torn apart by his own dogs. By his own dogs, yep. and and uh, I think it's in that one. And Ovid gives the long, long list of Barker and Bayer and Pointer and Squisher and all those that's different right. dog all names. The people pulling Santa's sleigh. That's yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, we have a similar kind of scene here. So. Um, I don't. I can't remember if we've talked about this detail on the show, but Euripides, at the end of his life, he goes up to Macedon, right? And because um, that's where the money is. That's where the money is. I mean, there's some stories that he got, you know, he got fed up with his, his the way he was received at the Dionysia. He wasn't winning all the, the right. contests. And his such. Athenian um, fellow citizens didn't appreciate his genius, right? And um, so he goes up there, and this is where he's torn apart by dogs. And um, the story goes on that his son goes up there to, you know, settle his father's estate, mm. finds the unpublished uh, text of the Bacchae. Oh, I didn't know this story. Takes it back to Athens, and it's put on, and it wins first prize. Hmm. And so, and where he, did you read this? New York Post or? Um, so yeah, some t- it sounds very tabloid. It does say, it, right? sound very tabloidy. Right. Um, but I believe that is the tradition. Hmm. And so I didn't know he that wins, about the Bacchae. He wins one of his few first prizes post, okay. uh, posthumously. That's too bad. Uh, and But here, too, kind of a, a fitting death, uh, it reminds, of, uh, reminds us of what happens to Pentheus in the Bacchae. He's torn That's apart right. by the, by the Bacchants. That's right, by his sister and his mother. And his mother. Because he's spying on the... What, on the, the rights of uh, Dionysus? Dionysus. So they, and a man can't do that. So right. he's torn limb from limb, right. just like Euripides. So Euripides is torn apart by dogs as a way that's kind of a fitting, kind of odd, haunting echo of his last play. Yes. Right. So this is maybe, you know, something the, the listeners are going to get bored of. But here's another meta reference. Please. The Alcestis episodes. Yes. What, yes. Yeah. Why, why are we talking about these now? Euripides. Oh, yeah, those. yeah, yeah. We did. Yeah. <laughs> those, were, those were good episodes. People should nah, go back and know they weren't no, okay. No, but right. we did have a, what... Uh, Diane uh, Svarnson, right? 
Yes, because those episodes were uh, about Euripides' Alcestis. Yes, one of my favorite plays. Yeah, very yeah. good one. Yep. All right. Okay, let's move on. Uh, so Sophocles. Sophocles. The third of the, of the, of the big three. Yes. Um, Died the same year, but a little bit after Euripides. Right. A fact we know from... From the our episode on the frogs. That's right, Aristophanes. Right. So here, uh, his death is... Uh, one version of his death is recorded by Diodorus in his, right. in his library. Uh, a little Greek here. What, what do you say, Dave? You oh, know? I'd love it. Please. Yeah. Okay, just drop a quarter in. Here we go. Perida tonauton chronon et eleutes Sophocles hosafilu, poietes tragodion et biosas en anekonta nikas de echon acto caedica, fasi de tonandra tuton ten escaten tragodian, esaga gonta, kai nekesanta chra peripesen, an uperbleto di hain, oops, did I get that right? Yes, di hain kai telotesai. Excellent. Wonderfully done. Thanks. Yes. Um, so the translation of that comes from uh, one with a very Harry Potterian name. Oh, really? Uh, C.H. Oldfather. 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 Yep. Very famous classicist. Yes. So uh, go something like this. Do you know? Do you know whose son he was? Of uh, the older father. Older father. <laughs> <laughs> I felt where that was going. Okay. At the same time, Sophocles, the son of Sophilus, the writer of tragedies, died at the age of ninety years. After he had won the prize 18 times. And, and this prize? The, at the Dionysia. Yeah, the so first prize first for prize. a great tragedy. Yes. And he won 18 times. Yes, a, a record. Uh, unsurpassed. It's like, uh, what's his name at the Oscars, right? Uh, I'm going to have to be more specific. Yes, you are, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking Michael Phelps, the swimmer. Oh, that's yeah. a better analogy yeah. than the one I was Who thinking Who are you thinking of? of uh, the, uh, you know, the great filmmaker, um, Spielberg. Spielberg. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yep. And we are told of this man that when he presented his last tragedy and won the prize, he was filled with insuperable jubilation, which was also the cause of his death. Mm. So he was so excited, yeah. he, he croaks on the spot. Yeah, I imagine yep. writing that in his death certificate. Cause of death, insuperable jubilation. <laughs> he was jubilous, but he couldn't super it. He it was just insuperable. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I think this is, you know, as a fitting death, uh, Sophocles of the big three, I think, was the most revered. Um, yes, and, and certainly in his own lifetime was was revered. So to, for him to die at the excitement of a victory seems very fitting for a man mm. that the Athenians apparently loved to That's loved right. to love. Right. If the uh, if listener wants to follow up on this thread, they can go check out H. J. Rose's uh, history of, or sorry, handbook of Greek literature, which develops this right that um, Aeschylus, you know, is the grim monotheist. Euripides is kind of the modern psychologist. Sophocles hits the sweet spots. Yes. You know, so human, so sympathetic and such. Right, exactly. And also in terms of kind of his style as right. well. Right. The bombastic nature of Aeschylus, the more uh, kind of gritty, right. um, pedestrian prose of uh, and poetry of Euripides. He's, again, right in the middle. Yeah, the yeah. sweet spot. Yep. There are other traditions about, about his death. I, I've also uh, run across that he... He uh, at, at ninety years old, they bring the the, the guy out onto stage mm. in the Dionysian. They ask him to perform the Antigone on his own. So they're the singing and everything. Right? Everything. He's doing all the parts. He's a one man band. Right. So like the big bomber. That's how he died. The big. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the big bomber. Sorry. Yeah. Um, this one though is my favorite. Wh- which one? The next one that you're going to. Well, read. they died choking on an unripe grape. Yes. Yes. And that's that strikes me as probably maybe closer to the really? truth. Yeah. Uh, I guess an unripe grape isn't soft, so it won't conform. It's too, it's too hard. Yeah, exactly. If it's if it's soft, it's. Uh, I mean, if it's ripe, it's soft. And you, you eventually choke it down. But yeah, but hmm. unripe, it's like you're, you're swallowing a, a stone. Yeah, a golf ball. I right. thought grapes in antiquity were kind of tiny, though, because they didn't have Miracle Grow and other things. That's so. true. Yeah. 
So I think there might be something else going on here. Um, I've, I've also heard this interpreted as kind of a, a revenge of Dionysus. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's too, you know, Sophocles is too good at his job. Oh, so Nemesis. Nemesis, right. going to get him. His hubris for winning 18 times in a row. You exactly. want to win 18 times in a row, says Dionysus here. Yeah. Choke on a grape. Yeah, take choke on a grape. Hmm. Right. So we see that, of course, you know, in hero stories, there there are very few happy endings. And right. The idea that um, completing a heroic task is, by default, hubristic. These are ancient hero stories. Yes. Contemporary hero stories. No, they go the other way. They it's go the happily, other way. Happily ever after. That's, right. That's Disney. Yeah. D- d- Possibly one of the worst movies ever. Which one? The Patriot. The pa- I never watched those. With the Mel, Mel Gibson. Gibson. I, I never watched Terrible. Them. Is it bad? Yes. I'm hopefully hereby offending a large swath of our audience. <laughs> there are many things about the film that's good, that are good, except mm-hmm. right at the end, spoiler alert, he not only, he has to decide between principle and safety, and of course he chooses principle because that's what a hero does. Mm. But then he gets everything else too. Gotcha. Now this that's is a, unsatisfying. This, this takes place during the American Revolutionary War. Yes, right? okay. yeah, in the Battle of Yorktown, right mm. at the end. So okay. there's some gripping, interesting elements. Yeah. He's got to sacrifice family for principle, but then he gets everything else he wants. Does he scream the word freedom? Well, see, there's a nice contrast yeah. because in Braveheart, yeah. you actually have the choice between self-preservation and self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And once you make that choice, you don't get to go back. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in Patriot, he goes back. He goes back. You don't uh, care for it. That, that does sound awful. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't now like you don't it. need to watch it. No. So who's, who's next up here? Milo of Croton. Right. Croton. Yes. How to, uh, what, liven up a salad. <laughs> That was one of his his, uh, particular special powers. That's right. (laughs) Sixth century BC. So that'd be the 600s? The the fifth century. The 500s. Right, right. So um, if uh, our listeners are unfamiliar who Milo of the Crouton was. um, (laughs) So Croton Croton is a city in southern Italy. It is. It's a Greek um, colony. Yes. Okay. Exactly right. So he was a famed wrestler Mm -hmm. um, and athletic champion whose kind of feats of strength were uh, gave rise to many, many legends. He was a military hero. He's often depicted carrying like a a full-grown bull on his shoulders. Mm he is said to have kind of burst a headband that was around, you know, open those, those uh, what? fillets around his, his his forehead just by flexing the veins and forehead. <laughs> Boom! Pop that off. Isn't that awesome? That's is that plausible? So you went through. Um, I'm going to get a little personal here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You went through an exercise stage. I, I did brief. Was it about ten years ago? Yeah. You and Mrs. Winkle, you were hitting the gym. Yes. Religiously. This is. This was actually longer. It was before children came. Okay. Home, did you burst? Went to pot. Did yeah. you burst any headbands with your? I never. Got, veins? I never got to that uh, that phase. Right. <laughs> Sounds like the headband may be a little too tight. If you can maybe burst it with a vein. But I think if you can do that in terms of exercise, you're done. Yeah, you're yeah, done. That's it. Right. Right. So um, here's a here's a quote from uh, Pausanias, who okay. who uh, wrote his famous Guide to Greece, uh-huh. right, the travel um, his Je- travelogue. Jeffrey Henderson is a translator. Yes, and um, this is a, uh, a section from uh, Pausanias, Book Six. He says it is further stated that Milo carried his own statue into into the Altus. His feats with the pomegranate and the quoit are also remembered by tradition. He would grasp a pomegranate so firmly that nobody could wrest it from him by force, yet he did not damage it by pressure. Hmm. Now, how do you balance that trick? You kind of hold so you, you've got it in your nobody can take it out. fist. Nobody can take it out. But you can't, you're not squishing it. That's tremendous control. Yes. And at the end of it, you could just make a glass of juice. Right? Exactly right. Yeah, refreshing. And this last part, I, just, I, I don't know, this, this makes me laugh. He would stand upon a greased quoit. Are you familiar with a quoit? I don't is, know what a quoit is. A quoit is, is like a, an iron. Is it, is it one, one fourth of a gallon? <laughs> 
a quoit is, is like a, an iron ring that would oh, be okay. like like a, and they throw it like horseshoes mm. that kind of, that kind mm. of thing. So he would stand on it, he'd grease up a quoit, right? <laughs> and he would make fools of those who charged him and tried to push him from the quoit. So he's balancing on this greased quoit, and people come up to try to knock, knock him, off, him off, and he can't do it's it. It's like a King of the Hill kind of. Yeah. Did you play that as a kid? Yes, I did. King of the Mountain. We call King it. of the Mountain. Yeah, King of the Hill. Yeah. Usually on snow. Yes. Giant snow banks. Someone at the top, and you try to dislodge him. It could get brutal. It's a very violent kind of game. It is. So much fun as a kid. Oh, it's great. Dislodge it's, that person, kneecap him, you know? It's great. I can picture uh, Milo on top of that snow mountain on, right. on a greased quoit. On a greased quoit. <laughs> <laughs> so, and holding a pomegranate. Now, this is the same Milo, you know, that uh, Cicero uses in his speech in defense of uh, Milo. The Roman of the same name. He, he, he talks about this guy? Yes, this is in the Pro Melona. And you know, the whole argument is... Uh, my client has the same name as this famous Greek athlete, Milo. And then he tells all these stories about Milo. This famous Greek athlete was amazing, therefore my client is innocent. <laughs> really? The, <laughs> Pretty much. The, the other side didn't, didn't object? Well, they had some <laughs> objections, but wouldn't you want to listen to Cicero tell stories? Of course, about Milo. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter if it's relevant. Oh, man. Uh, I was trying to think, you know, if you ever get charged with anything and I'm hired in your defense, yeah. I'm to think of some famous Jeffries oh, that... Man. Uh, yeah. But I'm not coming up with any. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a, you know, infamous, you don't want to talk about like Jeffrey no, Epstein. No, no, all the bad ones <laughs> the bad is all ones. I can think. <laughs> right. Yeah. Jeff Bridges, maybe? You think he's a good one? The Big Lebowski? Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, they read this uh, passage from uh, Valerius that... Uh, don't mind if I do. That tells us kind of how he died. Is this Valerius Minimus or Maximus? This is Maximus, okay. the big guy, all right. once again. Milo, or Milon of Croton, as he was traveling, saw an oak tree that had been cleft with wedges. Trusting in his strength, he went up to the oak and attempted with his hands to pull one part from the other. But when the wedges fell out, the oak closed again and trapped him there, till, despite all the palms and victories he had won, the wild beasts came and devoured him. Isn't that awful? I think I prefer the turtle, honestly. Do you, just uh, one <laughs> clean whop on right. the top of your Here he gets, bald pate. He gets Venus fly-trapped. In this oak, this collapsing oak. oak. Right. And then the animals come up and nibble his toes away. It's awful. It is really bad. So there too, too, I thought, you know, the oak tree, it may be associated with with Zeus. Mm. Is it some kind of divine Divine punishment? Divine nemesis, um, again, punishing him for being so successful. I stay away from oak trees. You do in general? Yes. Well, the grain is too open. I think the wood's kind of played out. Interesting thing about walnut, though, if we're talking about people being stuck in things. Yeah. From my rural background, walnut trees are so soft that if you um, if there's a fence next to a walnut tree, or if you take a glass bottle and set it in the crotch of a walnut tree, yeah, and come back five years later, the walnut tree will have closed around it completely. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. So sometimes it absorbs it, right? Yeah, like, like this guy Milo. So yeah. sometimes when people are you know milling walnut trees, they're putting them through a mill. They got to be really careful because the saw will come up with all kinds of stuff that's in there. And uh, so an, an oak tree would not do that. No, no. It's yeah. very, very different. Interesting. Man. Wow. Uh, I'm amazed by your botanical Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. great. Yeah. I'm dendrological. Yeah. Well, hey, we got we to pause now. We, we have, do? We're we not going to read this last one about Milo from Pausanias? I guess we can. It's, it's just kind of more of the same. Okay. Um, but um, I'll read it. So Let's it, read this. Right. I'd like this. Uh, they say that he... Milo was killed by wild beasts. The story has it that he came across uh, in the land of Crotona a tree trunk that was drying up. Wedges were inserted to keep the trunk apart. Milo, in his pride, thrust his hands into the trunk. The wedges slipped, and Milo was held fast by the trunk until the wolves, here the very specific mm. the beast, uh, a beast that roves in vast packs in the land of Crotona, 
made him their prey. Oh, that's awful. So he's devoured by wolves. It's kind of Ovidian, but Ovid doesn't deal with Milo because he's a historical character. Hmm. Yeah. I don't think there's any mention. I could be wrong. I'd love to be corrected, really. In the Metamorphoses, uh, any mention of Milo, but it's yeah. an Ovidian kind of death. It is a very it? Ovidian kind of death, mm-hmm. right? So we got you know, Euripides torn apart by dogs, wolves nibbling at Milo. We right. got Aeschylus, falling turtles. Uh, right? What is it? Um, insuperable jubilation. Yeah, we got that. We got grapes. We got grapes. Yeah. Speaking of unswallowable, swallowable grapes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to our ads. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Hackett Publishing. Hackett Publishing. With offices in Cambridge, Massachusetts and Indianapolis, Indiana, Hackett has been bringing fantastic works to a broad audience for 50 years. That's right. I love their translations. I have them on my shelves. Um, I have a, a, a translation of Ovid in my car. We know that. Yes. Right. In yeah. case of emergency, emergency pull this uh, out of yeah. your glove box. That's right. Yeah. I was unearthing some books from my basement because I have some new shelves, mm-hmm. for which I'm very uh, grateful, very pleased with these shelves. And I was coming across Hackett book after Hackett book. Yeah. and. It's like meeting old friends. Exactly, exactly. So listeners, uh, do yourself a favor. Check out HackettPublishing.com. Correct. Um, find the text that you want. Stroll down the virtual aisles. Yes. Um, it's uh, yeah, unbelievable wealth to be found there. Mm-hmm. Find what you want. Put it in your little grocery satchel. Mm-hmm. And baguette. Baguette. <laughs> yes. <it's>, right? <laughs> uh, type... I'd like to see them put a... I'm going to interrupt you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to see them put a book in a baguette. You would like to see that? That'd be a, yeah. that'd be a difficult... That's a trick, uh, isn't it? Like hollowing out the bread? Like standing on a quoit. <laughs> Exactly. Where's Milo when you need him? That's right. So, so they, you, they put it in there, and yep. then what happens? And then, well, then they put in their, uh, their coupon code, which right. is AN2022. Right. And uh, they will get 20% off anything they order and free shipping. That's phenomenal. It I is. don't know anybody who gives 20% off and free shipping. It's a huge deal. It's incredible. Check it out. This episode is also brought to you by Racial Coffee. Racial Coffee, the brain child, the beverage child, you might say. Yes. Of Can I say that? Beverage child? It's a little strange, but yeah. It's more than a little strange. <laughs> uh, of Mark Helweg. Yes. Good friend and devotee of the classics. And a, a, his crack commando coffee team out there in Portland? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. He's, he said to me something like, a crack team in Portland don't really go together. <laughs> <laughs> but they have put together, a, I don't know if that's a narcotics reference, but... He's, That's how I took it. Okay. He's yeah. put together an amazing team that assembles fantastic coffee machines. Mm-hmm. I've got the eight. You've got the six. I've got the six. Yep. Mine's, uh, I got the stainless steel right. fi- finish. Have you tried yeah. to stain it? I, I've tried. I've squirted it with a little water. My children have thrown all manner of things against it, but right. it, it, it remains. sticks. You no, know, it's stainless. Like Italian pasta against the wall. Exactly. Okay. Right, right. Al dente. Right. Yeah. No, great cup, perfect cup of coffee every single morning. Mm-hmm. Yep. What are the stages one must go through to well, obtain one of these perfect cups of coffee? Well, it starts with the bloom. The bloom. Which is uh, the is the off-gassing stage. Okay. Yeah. You notice I'm not even smiling. <laughs> And then what's next? After the bloom comes the brew. The brew? It's a bloom with a brew, as Hitchcock would say. Exactly right. That's an old joke, but notice we haven't said scorch pad or brackish tang yet. Not even yet. No. No, no, exactly. And then uh, at the third stage, it's ready. What happens in the brew stage, Jeff? Well, that's where the the water goes through the the Fibonacci head. Oh, Fibonacci, bringing him back. Pours over the the grounds and into the the weighty carafe. It's an automatic pour-over machine. Yes, it is. So all of the delicious excellence of pour-over coffee but none of the weight yes and none of the expense and the inconvenience of driving to the brewery beanery bakery thing there's no there's no there's no point in doing that okay yep. so if the customer did mm-hmm. i say are they customers already yeah okay yeah 
They go to RatioCoffee.com. Mm-hmm. And what do they do? Well, they can pick out either the Ratio 6 or the Ratio 8. Mm-hmm. Type in the co- the uh, coupon code. Is it coffee code? Right. Coupon code ANCO. ANCO. And they will get, how much is it? 15% off. 15% off. Yeah. So you really need to check it out and join the Ratio way. This episode of Outnoising also brought to you by the Gold River Trading Company. Um, one of our newer sponsors. Yes, and so proud to be with them. So pleased. Yes, and purveyors of excellent tea. Very good tea. So they're located in Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. And I think part of their mission, if I can just kind of summarize it a little bit, is to try to kind of regain some market share among Americans uh, for this quite uh, revered beverage. Americans are generally coffee drinkers. That's right. right? But uh, it's not always how it has been. Americans used to drink a lot of tea yeah. after they came over from the mother they country. They used to chuck it into the harbor. They did it? that too. Yeah. But you wouldn't want to do that with this tea. No, no way. This you want is to chuck stuff. it into your cup. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, the, the, I had recently a, a cup of their green tea. Mm-hmm. That I t- you like green tea? I like green tea. Yeah. Any, any color, basically. I'm, really? I'm fond of I don't really check out the color when I drink the tea. Mm. But I don't know if, if green refers to the color. It's something about the leaves, The leaves, right? right, right. No dust particles, no fannings. No, no, very, no, no fannings at all. No fannings. Right. So I, I like the green, I like their black. Um, I love the cacao. The cacao. Very relaxing. No caffeine in that, but it's stimulating because it's warm and the smell is fantastic. Yes. Very really enjoy it. Great stuff. So what can our what can the listener do here? Well, they need to go to goldriverco.com, goldriverco.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, check out the amazing website. Check out the different products. Put them in the shopping basket or the box of some kind. Mm-hmm. And then enter this code, A-N-T-E-A, to up the ante. Up the ante. Ad nauseum T. That's right. And they will get 10% off. Off any order. Any order at all? <laughs> any order of tea. Any order. Tea. Check it out. Check You're it supposed out. to say check it out. Winkle, check it out. I'm Sorry. teeing you up for the check it check out. Check it out. There we go. All right, Jeff, as we get back into it mm-hmm. this evening, we're yep. going to pivot. Pivot, yes. <laughs> <laughs> From dead Greeks to dead Romans. To dead Romans, right. And we're starting off with a with a with a big one, a yes. firecracker here. Virgil perhaps, himself. Perhaps my favorite. Your favorite your yes. favorite dead Roman. Do you remember you asked me a couple of weeks ago whether um wh- whom I would most like to meet, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Assuming it would be Cicero. Yes. And I said, no, I think it'd have to be Virgil. Virgil I was shocked by that. Were yeah. you really shocked? I, I, I was surprised because I was thinking Cicero would, would have to be the man. Well, he's made uh, a great impact on my life. Cicero has, but Virgil perhaps more so. Yeah. Because uh, Virgil's poetic imagination is just so overwhelming. Agreed. The way he strings together adjectives and gets at human psychology. I'm reading book four uh, right now with um, someone close to me. And um, just the the analysis of Dido's life and death. Mm-hmm. It's really moving. It is. We should probably do an episode on him. We'll have to do days. many. Yes. Maybe we should do as many as we did with the Odyssey. Well, let's not get let's not get crazy. Right. <laughs> so let's hear about Virgil. What's going on? With right. So again, we're because t- we're talking about the end of Virgil. Yes. So he um, the story goes is that uh, he traveled to Greece. Okay. And he was gonna he was gonna camp out there. Um, and camp out. Well, and I mean, not yet. Not literally camp out. He was gonna like a little gas stove and <laughs> and a and a little, a little tent to lean to. Yeah, a no. sub zero sleeping bag. I can't imagine Virgil in a no, sleeping no, I'm, bag. No, no. I imagine he. <laughs> I imagine he had some. Um, some fairly fancy digs to go to. You think so? Yeah. He was supported by uh, Augustus. Right. Right, right, right. So he was going there to revise the Aeneid. Okay. Going to finish it up. And he was born in 70. Born in 70. So this is 19. So he's uh, 52. Yeah. 51 and 52 when, mm-hmm. when uh, this took place. About so, your age, actually. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, he meets with Augustus in Athens um, and for whatever reason decides to head home. And he catches a fever uh, while near um, Megara, which yeah. is not far from Athens. Which is in the Peloponnesus, right? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. A big city. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, he crosses over to Italy and uh, gets to Brindisium down there by the heel right. and, and dies. Yeah, so he goes. He leaves probably from Durachium, I think, which is an Epirus. Yeah. I don't yeah, know, yeah. but that's that's the general That um, seems to be the, the launching point. Ju- jumping off point, right? To get over to Brindisium, right. and uh, he dies there from the fever. He does. Uh, so I have a, a lengthy quote here from okay. a translation from Suetonius's Life of Virgil. Okay. Uh, translated J.C. Rolf. Rolf. And maybe we can kind of go back and forth on this. I'd love this. Right. I, and I think someone's probably going to let us know what the J.C. stands for. I think somebody out there in, in listening is, will tell is, us. Someone is going to tell us the J.C. and J.C. Rolf is probably the same as in J.C. Penny, I'd imagine. I, which I have no idea. James? <laughs> I Charles? Don't, I, I don't, don't know, know either, right. but it's got to be interesting. So, Suetonius, mm-hmm. Life of Virgil, right? This yes. is from his work, De Wiris Illustribus, on, on famous men. Yes. I think. And yes, yes, one yes. of them is Virgil. This is uh, number 35 or section 35. Right. Do you right. want to start it out and I'll pick it up halfway sure. through? Yep. So, in the 52nd year of his age, wishing to give the final touch to the Aeneid, he determined to go away to Greece and Asia after devoting three entire years to the sole work of improvising, improving sorry, his poem and to give up the rest of his life wholly to philosophy. But having begun his journey and at Athens meeting Augustus, who was on his way back to Rome uh, from the Orient, he resolved not to part from the emperor and even to return with him. But in the course of a visit to the neighboring town of Megara, in a very hot sun, he was taken with a fever and added to his disorder by continuing his journey. Hence, on his arrival at Brundisium, he was considerably worse and died there on the 11th day before the calends of October in the consulship of Gnaeus Sentius and Quintus Lucretius. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Yep. I thought I was reading some of this. Well, I, there's there's a lot more to go here. Okay, okay, yes, yeah. all right. So, uh, he, can yes. I interrupt again, please? Please, yep. How did he get a fever in the very hot sun? That was, You know, that crossed my mind as I, as I read that. You mm-hmm. tend not to associate getting... Is that maybe it's sunstroke and... I don't know. ...calling it a fever? You know who John Stossel is? Yes, I do. And many, many years ago, I watched a special with John Stossel. yeah. He has a very interesting way of speaking. I wonder if we could ever get him on the podcast. Yeah, I, 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 I like, like his voice. voice I do lot. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, he's, he tested this principle that a cold weather leads to illness. Hmm. And I, I'll never forget, he's laying on a block of ice. <laughs> Back when journalism was real. Yes. You know, you've got, uh, what's his name, Geraldo trying to unlock Al Capone's vault. Oh, yeah, I remember that very well. So John Stossel's laying on a block of ice with a fan blowing on him. <laughs> For four, four or five hours. He was trying to catch a cold. He was trying to say that, look, there really is no, no scientific connection between uh, being cold yes. and getting the cold virus. Ah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I guess it was kind of in uh, Stasellian terms. It was uh, case closed. That's, uh, that's well, so maybe, maybe yeah. You, you Virgil should have known, though, I suppose. I guess so. Son, he was taken with a fever. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so this was, a, this was September 21, um, 19 uh, B.C., he dies. His ashes, ashes were taken to Naples and laid to rest on the Via uh, Putiolana, less than two miles from the city, in a tomb for which he himself composed this couplet. Dave, would you pick it up there? I will, but the couplet's in English. I know. Which, uh, it's okay, but yeah. it's not probably going to sound very poetic no. as, as I read it. I know. My other question is, um, yeah. how did he... How did he compose the the couplet to go on his own tomb? He must have known death was approaching. I guess so. Maybe that's a... He's, he's fast. Yeah. Okay, so it sounds something like this. Mantua gave me the light, Calabria slew me, now holds me. Parthenope, I have sung shepherds, the country, and wars. So he's born in Mantua. Um, Died in Calabria, yeah, and now which is he's, the region in which Brundisium is. Yes, right? and then buried in uh, Parthenope. Right. Um, Why is it called Parthenope? Um, that, yeah, so there's, I mean, there's other connections here. So the Parthenope is apparently one of the names of the sirens okay. from, the, from the Odyssey. 
and she is said to when Odysseus sails past and isn't you know driven mad or, or kills himself, uh, she drowns herself, mm. and she's said to have kind of washed up on shore at Naples. Mm. Um, Virgil in his Georgics claims that he's nourished by Parthenope, so there's a, oh. there's a connection to the geography and a connection to Virgil himself. Mm. So. That's what that's what the Parthenope refers to. Have you composed an epitaph for Winkle? No, remember, I haven't thought about my death at all. Death at all, remember? Yeah, for a guy that thinks about liminality and death so much, yeah, surprisingly is it strange. It's is surprisingly it strange? outwardly focused. Well, I, it, it is outwardly focused. I don't. Yeah. Would don't, you like me to write you an epitaph? No, please. No, okay. No, wow, that was a <laughs> that was a quick no. All right. Uh, you want, hey, uh, you, that was very short. You want to keep reading here? Please? Yes. Yeah. So to continue with Suetonius on the death of Virgil, he, that is Virgil, named as his heirs Valerius Proculus, his half-brother, to one half of his estate, Augustus to one-fourth, Mycenaeus to one-twelfth. Oh, no. Fractions coming up. <laughs> the rest he left. How much would that be? <laughs> so what is it? To to his half brother, one half of his estate. <laughs> That's very confusing. Yeah, to Augustus one fourth. So we got a fourth left. Mm-hmm. To Mycenaeus one twelfth. So we've got three. No, what's? Please no more math. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the rest he left to Lucius Verus and Plotius Tucca, who revised the Aeneid after his death by order of Augustus. Mm-hmm. With regard to this matter, we have the following verses of Sulpicius of Carthage. Carthage. We, we want to read these two. I, again, it's not in Latin. No, it's okay. It's, okay. Virgil had bidden these songs by swift flame be turned into ashes, songs which sang of thy fates, Phrygia's leader renowned, Varius and Tucca forbade, and thou too, greatest of Caesars, adding your veto to theirs, Latium's story preserved. All but twice in the flames, unhappy Pergamum perished, Troy on a second pyre narrowly failed of her doom. Ah, oh, that's clever. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Right. Explain those last two lines a little bit, will you please? Because well, so, so there's kind of ran through them. This, this, uh, this, this, this famic, famous anecdote that Virgil, realizing he was uh, not long for this world, uh, he instructs that the Aeneid be burned. Right? It's not finished. It's not revised. And so he would rather it be be torched. Can you it, imagine that? Uh, unbelievable, right? <laughs> so I'm so glad that uh, that his friends and Augustus did not follow these particular Augustus orders. just kind of intervened and said, nah, it's good enough for me. Right, 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 right. And uh, thank goodness he did. So but all but twice in the flames, unhappy Pergamum perished. So all but twice. So Troy the city burned once. Burned once, yes. The story of Troy almost burned a second time. Yes. That's it, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's great. So continuing with the the translation, he had arranged, that being Virgil, with Varius before leaving Italy that if anything befell him, his friend should burn the Aeneid, but Varius had emphatically declared that he would do no such thing. Therefore, in his mortal illness, Virgil constantly called for his book boxes, intending to burn the poem himself. Ah. But when no one brought them to him, he made no specific request about the matter, but left his writings jointly to the above-mentioned Varius and Tuca. That must have been so frustrating. Oh, man. When yeah. I'm sitting in the chair and I ask one of my kids, you know, can you bring me a soda or something? Yeah. It's very frustrating when I don't get the soda. Yeah, exactly. Does that ever happen to you? All the, every day. <laughs> every day. Are you quite imperious with your children? Uh, uh, I'm sure you're not. I'm not. I'm not. But I'm, I ask for, I request a soda every once in a while. Yeah, okay. Could you give me a soda? I can I get the side eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Imagine if you're Virgil, bring me those book boxes so I can destroy the Aeneid and nobody will listen to him. <laughs> very it's depressing. It's so frustrating. It is. So he, he gives this to Varys and to Tucka with the stipulation that they should publish nothing which he himself would not have given to the world. However, Varys published the Aeneid at Augustus's request, making only a few slight corrections and even leaving the incomplete lines just as they were. I can attest to that. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. These last many afterwards tried to finish, but failed owing to the difficulty that nearly all of the half lines in Virgil are complete in sense and meaning. The sole exception being in Aeneid Book 3, line 340, where you have quem tibi yum troia. That's kind of yeah. the one kind of glaring omission. Omission. Hmm. The half quem line. tibi yum troia. Yep. Yeah, no, no one knows what uh, that means exactly. That's a great title translated. A great title for a novel. Yeah, yeah. So there's an idea right there if you're out there looking for a novel to write. Right. I don't know once you have the title. That's a great loose thread to weave into a tapestry. Oh, nicely done. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but thank goodness that uh, they did not listen to Virgil. That's right. Because um, yes. now we have the Aeneid. Now we have the Aeneid, right. So there is a tomb of Virgil near Naples, um, but it's... Uh, I've, I've never, have you been to this? I haven't been there, no. no. I didn't know it existed. I knew he was said to have been buried there. Right. I didn't know there was a marker yeah, there is a there's a large tomb there. It's one of of, of a number in this in kind of this rock, you know, kind of cut out of the the, the rock there. Uh, but my sense is that it's 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 kind of like that tomb of Cicero, um, in which we Formia, have seen, which we have seen, which is of dubious provenance. Yes. So we don't know. However, a really great story that we may have mentioned previously, strangely, I can't remember the episode, is that when Saint Paul landed, it's mm-hmm. a medieval legend. When Saint Paul uh, landed at uh, Puteoli or Messenum. On his way to Rome, he stopped off at Virgil's tomb. You know this story? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. knelt and he wept. Ah. He wept because he had been born just a little bit too late to convert Virgil to the Christian faith. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I have no doubt it's entirely apocryphal. Sure. But it captures so nicely the immense influence Virgil has had on uh, Christians generally. Absolutely. He, he he achieves that title of a kind of virtuous pagan. Absolutely. Right? Uh, I mean, largely because of Eclogue 4. Yeah, which the Sibylline poetry. Right, 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 yeah. So we're going to move on to someone not quite so commendable no. as Virgil. No, no, no. This is this is uh, this is Nero. Nero the Zero. Right. Who um, born in thirty seven and and died by his own hand with a little bit of help. Sixty eight. In sixty eight. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, as at the age was, of what thirty one. Thirty one. When everything was just falling apart. For right. Him, right. And so, um, a bit from Suetonius here. I don't think. I think um, just kind of in the interest of time, I'm not going to read everything here. Okay. Um, but uh, I can summarize. And so he wakes up one morning, and Nero, Nero, uh, and the Praetorian Guard have deserted him, mm. and he's desperate for friends. And, and, and a soda, probably. And a soda, exactly. No, and no one would bring one to him. He mm. was calling for a soda, <laughs> right? Um, and kind of his uh, his friend, his his freedman, uh, Faun. He says, all right, you can come to my house. Uh, he's got a villa up in the suburbs between the Via Nomentana and the Via Salaria. Um, he says, you can come and hide out here. Mm-hmm. And by this time, people are looking for him, and his days are absolutely numbered. So this, I'm sorry, this Friedman fan is Greek? It's a Greek guy, probably? I, I guess so. I'm Sounds guessing, like a Greek guessing, name. Guessing, guessing by the name, yeah. Right. right. Um, so he's hiding, and there's all kinds of people on his trail. I'll pick it up kind of uh, halfway through the, the story from Suetonius. Uh, it says, when they came to the bypath leading to the villa, they turned the horses loose, and he, Nero, made his way amid brushes and brambles and along a path through a thicket of reeds to the back wall of the house, hmm. with great difficulty and only when a robe was thrown down for him to walk on. Here the aforesaid Faon urged him to hide for a time in a pit from which sand had been dug, but he declared that he would not go underground while still alive. Mm. And after waiting for a while until a secret entrance to the villa could be made, he scooped his hand in some water to drink from a pool close close by, saying, this is Nero's distilled water. What? I don't know. He was this a, is Nero's distilled water? Like he's talking to himself in the third person, as oh. you would expect Nero to do. But right? why distilled water? Well, I think he's, he's saying that this is Nero's special water. He's, as he's digging it out of this 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 disgusting pit, right? He's even he's he, the fantasy is that you know th- this is I'm still oh he's out of his mind yeah he's out, yeah so distilled here means just special for special, me special for me right? got it right 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 so um 
I kind of have a selfish reason for including this story. Oh, please. Because um, uh, one of my more recent times in Rome, I had a day off away from the students, and I decided... Uh, I'm, I'm sure go- it was heartbreaking to be it, away it, from it, the it students. It was terrible. I was, it was weeping. Um, <laughs> But I had done some, I'd done some, a little bit of research, and the villa of Faon has been found hmm. and uh, excavated. And so, I, you know, my, my affinity for death sites, I wanted to go where Nero had died. Yes. And so, I, I, it took me the longest time to get up there and to find it, and none of the locals had any idea what I was talking about. Huh. Right. But I finally found it in this this kind of uh, forlorn park, and I had to do some fence hopping to get in there. And it was covered with um, dog droppings, but also brambles and briars, just like Suetonius describes. And, mm. and I found the, uh, the the remnants of this villa. Did you drink some of the distilled water? No, there was some there was some around, but I did not drink it. That was wise. That yeah, was yes. <laughs> this is Jeff's distilled water. Yeah, <laughs> but it was very it was it was cool to find it. Yeah, and, and to uh, um, but it's in this uh, surrounded by these um, this broken. Fences and scattered with with broken glass. And Don't mention the dog up. droppings again. Please. I, no, exactly. Once was enough. Once for was that. enough. Right. Um, so it's not a it's not a ruin that has, has right. seen any kind of preservation mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. But, but a meaningful moment for you, I abs- can tell. Definitely, absolutely. Right. Do you want me to read some of this? Yeah. Uh, from Suetonius, right? Yeah. yeah, please. Okay. Tunc uno quoque hinc in de instante utquam primum se impendentibus contumelius er liberet, scrobem cordam fieri imperavit dimensus, ad corporis sui modulum camponiqua simul siqua inveni rentur, frusta marmaris et aquam simul acligna conferri curando mox cadavari, flains ad singula atque identinem dictitans, qualis artifex perio. Perio. So this is the last moments of Yeah, himself. his final words. His final words, right. Um... So the translation, at last, while his companions, one and all, urged him to save himself as soon as possible from the indignities that threatened him, he bade them dig a grave in his presence, proportioned to the size of his own person, and at the same time bring water and wood for presently disposing of his body. Why, why the water? Uh, are they going to clean him a little bit before they burn him? I guess maybe he wants some more of his special distilled water. I guess right? so. As each of these things was done, he wept and said again and again, what an artist the world is losing. <laughs> Now, what do you think of that as a translation of Qualis Artifacts Pereo? It's very good. You, you like that? I'm not. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. Artist for artifacts. It's has a little bit of a derivative ringy to it. Mm-hmm. But I like taking Qualis as Huata, right? Huata. Yep. Um, maybe you could have said, um, you know, such a connoisseur. I die, such a connoisseur. Such a connoisseur, yeah. Something like that. Right, right. Because the perio is first person singular, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a good translation. Okay. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Right. It's quite and, nice. And in keeping with the, with. Uh, Nero's megalomania. It's right? supposed to be highly melodramatic because okay. the stories of Nero are, are ridiculous, yeah. right? He wanted to be, there's this one story, he wanted to be a famous singer, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, he sang in Athens and at various competitions. So he would lay on the floor and have people put uh, leaden plates. <laughs> this maybe is from Suetonius on his chest so that he would practice breathing under pressure. <laughs> that is from Suetonius. You know, yeah. so he would then develop a kind of operatic breath control. Yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, there were many opportunities to just do him in in such instances. Because he was generally hated. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, this melodrama, Qualis yeah. Artifex Perio. I think Suetonius also tells us that he would, uh, when he would perform in theaters, he would lock all the doors. Right, so nobody and, could leave. You know, and then he, Suetonius talks about people like throwing themselves off the balcony rather than sitting <laughs> through another song, right? That's awful. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to cover Petronius or we move on to Pontius Pilate? I think we should probably move on to Pilate. Um, okay. Petronius is, is kind of an extension of, uh, of Nero all right. in some sense. But let's talk about Pontius Pilate. All right. I think this is really interesting. Is one that, of the, I'm sorry, go yeah, ahead. No, please, no, take it up. What were you going to say? I was going to say he's one of the few uh, persons mentioned in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, right? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You ever count the number of uh, human beings mentioned in the creeds? It's really interesting. Yeah. So you've got Mary of Christ himself as a human being. Uh, you have Pontius Pilate who's mentioned. And then you have, you know, vague references to the living and the dead. Right. Communion of saints. Those are references to, to persons, mortals. But Pontius Pilate, right, is a, a villain yeah. of the story, at least of some sort. And he's mentioned explicitly in both of the creeds. That's really striking. I'd never thought of that. And someone just asked me a couple of weeks ago, why is Pontius Pilate, the the villain uh, of the story, so to speak, in both creeds? I said, well, I had to think. But I think the reason is, first of all, to show that it's uh, a specific historical event. Hmm. The authors of the creed want to peg it to a particular time. It's like saying during the Carter administration. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Under Pontius Pilate. And I think the theological meaning is uh, Christ, according to the Gospels, was condemned by civil authority. So, Mm. you know, there was some legal uh, weight behind the the conviction. Gotcha. That's a really good answer. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, That's great. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure it's 100% accurate. No. But it is an answer. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all, I mean, it's, it's also interesting to consider that um, historically, Pontius Pilate has been a difficult figure to pin down. Right? Yes, so he's kind of a cipher. When it, uh, although there is a there is an inscription there is with, with Pilate's name on it. Right, right, right. Quite. I, I think the dating of it is contested, but the identification of it as Pilate is without controversy. It's from it's like from Caesarea, right? It's from, yes, it's that's from right. the area. It's from Palestine. Palestine. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So there is there is um, epigraphical proof, but right. in terms of like his biography, a lot it's Very it's mostly these these legends, right? right. And so um, there's lots of stories about Pilate in the mm-hmm. New Testament Apocrypha, um, which would be another great episode. Yeah. One of the theories about his name is that he was, you know, from the region of Pontus in mm. uh, Asia Minor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Possibility. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so there's a lot of traditions about what happened to Pilate after the crucifixion. I mean, this, these these stories almost become cliched uh, that these, these villainous figures, um, Romans and otherwise, they they come around and they're converted mm-hmm. and uh, they 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 come to they ultimately kind of martyred for their newfound faith right right um, and but um, uh, so there's a number of these I just picked one just because I thought it was was interesting it's, okay it doesn't fall into that category of he comes out like you know virtuous pagan or whatever and this is uh, the Mors Pilati yes uh, and I I could not for the life of me I wanted to find the, the Latin text yes but I could not find an That's all right. version of it we got the title um, the Mors Pilati the death of Pilate and you say it's a uh, 14th century 14th century right okay and so uh, at a time where lots of these legends were kind of popping up and mm-hmm. becoming popular. So the story goes something like this. So the Emperor Tiberius, uh, who was the emperor uh, during, uh, at the time of Christ's crucifixion. Yeah, he was, what, uh, 14 to 37? 37, and then, I it's, think so. then it's Caligula, right? Right, so yeah. he's, he's right between Augustus and Caligula. Right, right. So the story is he, he's ill, and he's heard about this great healer, Jesus of Nazareth. Mm. And so he wants, he wants uh, to bring uh, Jesus to him so he can be healed. All the way from Palestine All, to Rome. Yep. And so he sends his, his emissary there, but he finds, oh, it's too late. Uh, Pilate um, has already executed. Well, that's embarrassing for Pilate, isn't it? Very, very embarrassing. And so he's he's uh, Tiberius is very upset about this. Um, and so his emissary, a guy by the name of, of Volusian, he finds Veronica instead. Um, the, the who is Veronica? Veronica is the she's said to the one who could have wiped Christ's face on his way to the cross, and okay. then that cloth becomes kind of one of these holy magical relics. Okay. And um, I heard the story. I didn't know the name. Yes. So St. Veronica. So apparently one of the pillars in St. Peter's in the Vatican, uh, the, the, the reliquary kind of holds this, this veil. Oh, okay. So she, she goes with this guy back to Rome with her veil. 
and um, with the kind of the magic powers mm-hmm. of the veil, she heals Tiberius. Mm-hmm. Um, Tiberius then brings Pilate before him. He's again, he's very upset for for what he did uh, to, to Jesus, um, but apparently G- Pilate is wearing part of Jesus's tunic that was the, that the Roman soldiers gambled for. Oh, yeah. so Pilate got that in the end. He, he got he got the tunic, and so that becomes kind of like almost a magical talisman. <laughs> so Tiberius says, "I can't do anything while you're wearing the magic tunic." It's a it's like a superhero's it, cape. Totally, exactly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not finding this especially plausible. No, it's not. No, but isn't it kind of isn't it kind of uh, awesome in its own weird kind of way? Okay. All right. All right. Maybe a little. Li- no, I won't say it. All right. So he says, "I can't do anything to Pilate as long as he's wearing that." Um, but uh, a group of Christians gang up on him, strip the tunic off Pilate, and Tiberius then orders Pilate's execution. So wh- why would the Christians do that? Because they want Pilate punished, or they want the relic? I think they want the relic, and uh, maybe maybe both. Hmm. Maybe both here. Um, and then Pilate, uh, he says, I'm not going, I'm not going to let Tiberius do me and takes a, a, a dagger and he stabs himself with it before the execution can mm. be carried out. Um, and then there's a bigger problem is that uh, they can't find a, everywhere he's buried, horrible things happen. Mm. And so they bury him over here and there's all, you know, things like the 10 plagues are kind of popping up and because, you know, and the, and the, the, even the ground wants to reject Pilate's yeah. body. That was another episode of ours, wasn't it? On the haunting houses? I don't remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a good one. What was the, well, well, just, if you don't say so yourself. Just, just, just ghosts to show you. Just ghosts to show you. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, was your title. That was your title. <laughs> all the funny ones are yours. <laughs> So they, they're, they're bouncing around, they're keep digging up and, and reburying Pilate, but they finally play, find a place up in the Alps. Interesting. Uh, near a, a Lake Lausania. Yeah. La, La, Lausanne, Switzerland. Yes, yeah. I almost went there once on accident. D- really? Yes. How do you accidentally go to Lausanne? Well, I would really like to visit Lausanne because uh, Theodore Beza, theological hero of mine, was teaching Greek and Latin there for 10 years. Oh. But my son and I were getting on the train in Geneva, mm-hmm. supposedly uh, going to the airport, so we could fly to Zurich, so we could fly to uh, London. Ah. But we went north, and we're headed to Lausanne, or the wrong side, away from the airport. Oh, and no. Time's going on, and we're munching on our, you know, our, air, our uh, hotel croissants. And uh, I said uh, to some, some uh, Swiss guy, is this going to the airport? He said, no, you're going to Lausanne. Ah! Oh, did, did panic set Moment in? Moment of panic. <laughs> Thankfully, we had headed out plenty early. So okay. we got off at the next stop and... Head back know. in the other direction. That's correct. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you were almost near where Pilate was finally buried. Well, I'm glad I didn't go. And so it, according to the Mors Pilati, this it was isolated enough that there were horrible things still happening, but there wasn't enough people around to, to really be bothered by mm. it. Right? So low population. Yep. There's that other legend of Pilate that he's forever washing his hands. You know that? I don't know that one. Well, this is like feature- Lady Macbeth. This is featured in um, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Is that that part? Mm, I think I so. Remember, I don't remember that. Maybe we'll have to reference. rewatch it. Yes. He's constantly washing his hands as, as a sign of remorse, trying to wash off the blood. Yes. So it doesn't have to do with his his death, but it's an associated myth. It's like a it's a, almost a, like a Greek underworld punishment. You're kind of filling out the leaky jar. Right? Sisyphus. Yeah. Never get the he can never get the the blood mm-hmm. off his hands. Yeah. Constantly cutting the an video and never quite getting to the <laughs> to the end. <laughs> to the end. Right. Right. Well, that just about wraps it up. It does, doesn't it? Yep. So we got to get out of here. What crazy title are you going to think up for this one, Doctor Winkle? Well, the one I had in this paper, I, I you gave me a kind of a meh. So ah, I'm not even I gave you it. the full stink eye. You did give the stink eye. You so come I, up with some great So funny, I got to come up with something funny. I think you come up with okay. some good ones. I, I've tweaked a couple, but mm-hmm. you know, you're really the, I want to give you full credit here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Come up with some really funny titles. What are you going to do with this one? Uh, I have no idea. Yeah. But the pressure's on. 
Right. But so, we got to get out of here. Yeah. So who do we got to thank here, Dave? Uh, well, we want to thank Mishka, who is our sound engineer. Yes. And puts us all together nicely. We want to thank Agricola, our videographer. Yep. Who uh, not only films us and manages the lighting and... Does he do makeup, too? He does. The no, whole, he the, doesn't. The whole, no, he does. No, he does. No. <laughs> but he also cuts everything up and puts it in the nice final form so we can, you know, uh, serve it up to the people. Yep. Speaking of which, yep. we'd like the listener to go to the YouTubes. Yes. Uh, YouTube.com slash ad nauseum. Don't forget the... Uh, v and uh, subscribe so you can watch some of our antics uh, in the flesh, as they say. Definitely and get in touch with us. We, we'd love to give you a shout yeah, out. We need some shout outs. Send them along, yep. please. We would like to feature you uh, in an episode. We need to thank Ken Tamplin, uh, music musician extraordinaire, Qualis Artifacts, you might say. Yes, exactly. Uh, Great who, connoisseur. That's correct. Yeah. Who uh, gives us this wonderful music for the intro and the outro? We've got uh, Scott Van Zen playing some screaming guitar. Lots of fun. Yep. So, uh, leave us a, send us a note to Dave at oddnauseum.com. Don't forget the V or to me at Jeff at oddnauseum.com. Also, do not forget the V. Dave, yes. What's coming up next week? Well, we teased the audience last week saying we we're going to have Ken Bratt oh, yeah. in the studio for an episode on the catacombs. Right. Uh, we had to reschedule that. So this week we gave them, you know, Tales of the Dead. Tales of the Dead. Strange Ways to Die. We're going to try to get Ken in next week, and so episode 76 should be a trip to the catacombs of San Sebastian and San Callisto. I'm excited about this. Uh, um, uh, Ken, uh, he knows more about this stuff than anybody I know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be great. Yep. And, Jeff, you have for us the gustatory parting shot. I do. This comes from... One of my favorite bands back in my kind of alternative music phase. You the, were into the grunges and the emos and the I, I, thrash I did. core I did. and things the, like that? And this was more on kind of the, the outer orbit of the weird. I'm just throwing out names. I don't really know <laughs> what these musical genres are, right. if, even if they exist. Yeah, but. so this was kind of on the, the outer edge okay. of the alternative era in the early 90s. Of a band. You like that kind of stuff. I do. I All do. Right. I, especially I did. Um, this is a band called The Flaming Lips. Mm. Right. And so, Sounds um, painful. This is the, a song that was probably the closest thing that they ever had to a hit uh, from a song called She Don't Use Jelly. And uh, here's the lyrics. I know a girl who thinks of ghosts. She'll make you breakfast. She'll make you toast. But mm. she don't use butter and she don't use cheese. She don't use jelly or any of these. She uses Vaseline. Uh, yeah. Sounds awful. Yeah, it, is, it, it, <laughs> it does sound awful. But it's a great song. And yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.